now, so we're back in Derech Hashem. And now what the, uh, what the Ramchal is going to discuss, we're in actually the second chilek, second chapter. And he's really going to try now to talk about the whole situation of Jews in terms of the purpose of the world and what all this means. So we know so far that there's a neshama, a soul, which is fundamentally a neshama, the Jew has a neshama. And what is the neshama? The neshama is what the Chazal call a chelik l'kaimimal. Chelik l'kaim means it is part of the living God. That's really what the neshama is. And so, you know. <coughs> but what the neshama, what the neshama is, in a, in a very great sense, is it's really, I once mentioned that the, that the God emits ten spheres, or ten forces, which in many ways has divinity. And the neshama really is a personification of those spheres. What the neshama is, if you took those ten spheres, which forms a unit, and you reconfigured it and made it physical, it would look like a human. And that's really what a Jew is. A Jew is a configuration of ten spheres, and that's what his body really is. He's a personification of the spheres itself. And that's what it means that that the neshama is part of God. You know, it doesn't mean that uh, literally, but figuratively, that the neshama of a Jew is part of God. Because what the neshama really is, like I said, it is a personification or a configuration of the spheres, if they would be physical, they would look like a human. Would be, and that's why the neshama is called the Tzalem the image of God, you see. <clears throat> so that's really what the neshama is. So token, would you say that the neshama is head and shoulders over any other spiritual entity? Yes, yes. It's, everything it, else is created by the spheres, but they're an actual analog to the spheres. Yes, and that is why the neshama is the greatest creation ever made by God. It's almost infinitely superior to a malach. You see, even though everything emanates from God, but the neshama has that distinction of being a personification in human form of ten spheres. And there are many uh, spheres are ten, and then each one is divided by ten, and each one is divided by ten. It's an in infinite progression of ten spheres, <coughs> and apparently, and uh, whatever a certain uh, part of them reconfigures itself to a human form, or rather neshama, the soul itself. Now, uh, the interesting thing, about, of course, about that, like I said, well, first of all, like I said, the, the neshama of a Jew is infinitely greater than a malach, much greater. But as you will see, the neshama, the neshama has a tremendous problem because of that. And I'm going to talk about that uh, shortly. But in any case, so the neshama now the Mushim takes this in unbelievable spiritual entity, which is greater than the Malachim, uh, greater than almost any, you know, and there are millions of different classes of Malachim and so on, you know. And what the Mushim does is he takes the Neshama and he inserts it into a physical body. Then the Neshama is not a physical body, obviously, you know, but he does encases it in a physical form, a physical body, you see. And that body in itself in many ways it becomes a prison or a, 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 a sort of like a uh, uh, yeah prison would be the best word to the neshama it cannot escape and I had gone through that in the previous Ramchal 
and so on, you know. And the way the neshama can get out of this fix is because it must use the physical universe itself to get itself out of this crisis. How? Because when the neshama, the individual, does a mitzvah, then he uses a physical substance. Because all mitzvahs are, are physical. Uh, they involve physical objects and so on. And when, the, when, the, when an individual <coughs> uses the, a physical uh, object to do a mitzvah, then what he does is that the, the neshama uh, imbues in that physical object a spiritual potential. In other words, he puts into that physical object some tremendous spiritual potential, possibility. That is why later on, when the time comes <coughs> where, the, um, uh, where the world has to retransform, then the, the reason why the physical universe can re be re retransformed, that's called zikuch, which I had mentioned previously, is because when a person does a mitzvah, then that physical object, like I said, really becomes potentially spiritual. And therefore, the physical object itself can change into a spiritual entity. That's really what it is. So it's funny, the only way the neshama can get itself out of the prison of this physical garb, so to speak, is that it has to, in many ways, uh, invest, imbue the physical universe with a degree of potential spirituality. And therefore, it is what's called in a state of readiness to be transformed, and that is zikuch, you see. Because when a neshama does a mitzvah with a physical object and has intention to use that object physically for a mitzvah, like I said, so therefore that physical object, whatever is connected with it, now has a spiritual potential to retransform into a spiritual object. And that's really the concept of zikuch. And therefore, once that happens, of course, is the, the guf now becomes spiritual, and the neshama remains with it, uh, actually for all eternity, but then the physical has now become spiritual, you see. And that's how the neshama is able to solve the crisis of what it is, you see. <clears throat> now, so therefore, what the individual or the neshama has to do, of course, is ultimately <clears throat> is to reconnect with God. And the way it does that, it has to, in some manner, take care of the physical universe. Now, why is there a physical universe? Okay, at all, why bother with that? Well, one of the ideas that you have to remember about this is that the physical universe obscures the spiritual. And that's why the neshama is in a physical universe, because it has to do something which is not obvious that God exists in that sense. That's the test that the neshama has to go through. So there's a physical universe, okay, that obscures the spiritual. And that's a basic reason for a physical universe, that you do not see God. You don't see the spirit of the Rabbanu of God. You see, I mean, in a certain sense, you can feel, in a certain sense, yeah? Okay. So in a certain sense, you can experience, if the Mershom permits, a spi the spiritual presence of God, which is the Shekhinah. But basically, the physical universe conceals, obscures the whole concept 
of, of the spirituality. And therefore, in that situation, the neshama can now be tested. And that's the second point of the physical universe, that it must, in many ways, use the physical universe as a ladder to get out of the physical universe. And that is the test situation. These ideas I had spoken about, but I'm just trying to be more uh, uh, crystallized, what I'm saying now and so on, you know. <coughs> now, so we have now a physical universe, we have the neshama in the, in, the, in the body. I'm explaining, you know, what it has to do and so on, you know. But now the main idea, of course, is that <coughs> the neshama has to have free will. What is free will, really? What does it mean to have free will? Well, what it means is that, if you recall, <coughs> that the physical universe has what's called a counterpart universe in a higher dimension, which are called Koychus Nevdolim. And I had mentioned that in the, in the previous uh, Ramchal and so on, you know. It's called transcendental forces. That the entire physical universe <coughs> has a spiritual counterpart you see, that is really one long extension of the spiritual. And there are malachim that control every aspect of that spiritual place, right? And therefore they can manipulate and cause everything to happen in the physical universe. And they have a script that they must adhere to and they follow that. Therefore everything in this universe must act based on what the malachim do to the spiritual counterpart of that physical object. In other words, they don't have free will. Animals have no free will. You know, uh, animals or birds or anything. Everything in the universe has no free will because it's acted upon by the malachim manipulating the counterpart, the spiritual counterpart that exists in a higher dimension, in a higher world. So there's no free will, you see. But the interesting about man is that he has free will. What does that mean? What that means is that a person in some capacity of what he wants to do does it because he made the decision. What does that mean? It means that there is no script that a malach reads and manipulates your counterpart for you to do an action. You yourself can decide what to do and therefore when you move to do something then your spiritual counterpart itself will move in response to the fact that you move you see so there's nothing compelling you to act at all so what does it mean that you do free will exists in only one place which is interesting free will exists in the mind in terms of a decision when you make a decision what to do, not if you do it, you follow through on the decision, because that's no longer free. <coughs> the decision itself, you see, let's say, I want to drink this coffee, right? Okay, so I decide somewhere in my brain that I want to drink this coffee, you see? And that decision was not in any way introduced into my mind by some outside force, including God which itself uh, uh, presents a very difficult problem. But if a true free will means that I have made a decision to do something without any introduction of that thought or decision being put into my mind at all. And therefore it's free, it's free. 
you see because the person himself has decided now you may have decided to do something but after that it's all God whether you do that which you decided or you don't do that which you decided is no longer up to you you make the decision and that's it and that's an instant thought then if God wants you to carry out your decision then he will you know you, you will copy that uh, counterpart that the malachim now manipulate so that will enable you to do it but that's no longer up to you now there are many people who decide they want to do evil they're stopped and there are people who want to do good or mitzvah they're stopped why because they don't have free will the only thing free about a person is the decision itself for instance let's assume I pick up the cup okay so I begin from here now what makes my brain fire the neurons which will now activate the muscles to pick up this cup you see it is my decision that's what does it but as I raise this cup if you'll notice that decision happens from nanosecond to nanosecond because at every nanosecond I'm still in willing this cup to arise so what the, what the, it, it, the, the chain of events which is very interesting is that the individual has to decide I want to pick that up that decision activates what's called the operational will in the mind in other words, there's something in the mind called will. And the will, I want to do something, okay, is not the decision itself. The decision somehow triggers off something in the mind which is called rotsen, will. Okay, now that will, and nobody knows where it is in the brain, how it works, but that will, okay, fires off neurons. And those neurons send an electrical signal to the muscles of my hand and all of a sudden I find myself lifting. But that will just doesn't happen. It has to be activated, right, Sec nanosecond after nanosecond. So there has to be a complete, uh, you know, uh, output of that will which will move the neurons, fire the neurons, fire the muscles and so on, see. But behind the will, the operating will, right, and nobody knows where in the world that is in the human brain. Nobody knows what it is or what, where it is. I mean, nobody has any idea of what's behind all this. But there has to be a decision that activates the will, which fires the neuron, which gets the uh, motion of the muscles, and I lift the cup. So free will, true free will, exists in the decision behind or before the will itself. That's Bechira. In other words, God does not insert that decision in your mind. Nor does the Malach insert anything in your counterpart in heaven. So therefore, as far as Judaism is concerned, everybody has free will. And that's why it says, Right? It says, God clearly says that. And you will choose what? Life. Excuse me. How can I choose life if I have no free will? And the answer is you do. This is a fundamental tenet of Judaism, that all mankind has free will. But the free will, like I'm saying, only exists in the decision itself. And then what you do, that activates, like I said, there's a will 
and it operates the human and that triggers the neurons, fires the neurons in the brain, sends its message to the muscles and all of a sudden you lift. You see, now if you, I want, I could stop the decision. I want to stop. So all of a sudden, right? And that itself is a decision that I have freely. And all of a sudden, everything stops. The will, the neurons, the muscles, and, and the coffee cup. Says that that, that's important to know. Uh, you don't realize how limited you are. Because after the free will, it's no, after that decision, you have nothing to do with it anymore. What the Malach will do is he will operate everything in accordance with that constant decision. You see? So as you decide, move. <coughs> decide, move. Decide, move. You see? After that, it's all out of your hands. And they could stop the activation of the free will or not. The only free will you have is, do you or do you not want to move that cup? That's it. And so on. <clears throat> and that is true free will. And every human being has that, whether it be Jew or non-Jew. Okay? Now there is such a thing as range of free will. We don't have free will on everything, you see. We just have free will on those things which involve good or evil, you see. But a lot of the time we don't have the free will. We think we do because we cannot distinguish when we are acting freely and when we're not. We, we don't know, you see. But for instance, if the Bershom wants somebody to become wealthy, so all of a sudden, you know, he'll get a tip, right? And all of a sudden the person will ask himself, well, do I want to call up a broke and buy the shares, right? Uh, that thought is, is not free, you see. It's purely based that God put that thought or that, you know, thought, but the decision is not free. The person's decision to invest, let's say, in the market, and all of a sudden the stock goes up and the guy becomes wealthy and so on, that decision was not free. He cannot distinguish between a free or not. You know, he just enjoys the reward in that sense, you know. But, so you have to know, our decisions are not all free. A, a great deal of them happen because they have, to, they have what to do, as you will see, with our actions for good or bad. You know, either they're there to create a test situation or perhaps to punish a person, you know, and all of a sudden the stock dives, right, and becomes poor, right? Uh, or to reward a person and, and so on, you know. But man does have free will, which is a, the ability to decide without any input from anybody at all. And that itself is probably one of the greatest of all creations. And the truth is it's very difficult to understand how it even works. Because the problem is, you know why, what the real problem is. The problem is that how can you bring into creation a decision that God did not emanate. Nothing. The, the only way anything exists is if God wills and He creates. But free will simply means what? That you are actually making a decision that God did not create in your mind or else it wouldn't be free. He would have put it there. Uh, so um, it, it, it's a tremendous what's called problem or conundrum, mystery of how it even works. Because free will means that I'm actually thinking about something that doesn't exist, you see? And I bring it into creation, you see? But how can that be if God didn't create it first that I could bring into creation, you see? It's unknown. It's a tremendous contradiction of how it exists. Nonetheless, it says in the Torah, so we know we have free will, you see?
But I just mentioned that that difficulty in terms of how can free will exist when nothing you cannot make anything exist God has to make it exist but if he does then it's no longer free you see what? two things first sorry that's, even in terms of good and evil a person might not have free will just <coughs> has a whole exactly think about it that sure. a person who's acted evil his whole life is no longer free exactly we don't yeah yeah but that can't be a heta well I didn't do it I'm, I'm just saying it. Well, there are people, especially, the, I forgot the guy, who was the guy? Calvinism. Uh, he held <clears throat> that man has no free will. That you are doomed to whatever you decided has been implanted already. This is his sheet, which is insane, I have to say. You know, uh, because he has taken away all culpability from any person's action. And then he's saying that there are people who are sent here that are doomed to be evil and it's not because of free will there is no it's called the uh, it's indeterminate or determinism but also is it possible that it's kind of like in quantum mechanics you have two different states simultaneously and when it's observed the state, state freezes into one single state oh it collapses it collapses it's called a collapse state. yeah it's so quantum can you apply such a concept to answer that problem? That there's kind of a, a dual state and then it collapses into one as you decide. Yeah, but who collapses it? You do by making a decision. But both are, both are there. Both but that's not what free will. I don't care if both possibilities exist. The critical thing is that you can actually decide which exists and which collapses. That's free will. The mere fact that two things exist does not stop free will. Because you're the one who decided which path you want to go, and therefore, um, what they call it is that I mean, state becomes, collapses. It's free, correct? Exactly. Even if there are an infinite amount of possibilities which way to go, but you still are the one who chooses the, you know, what's called collapse the, the quantum state. Yeah. Could you prove free will? Can you what? Can you prove free will? Prove? Prove it. Or it's only a belief because of Bachata Bachayim, because it trusts It's a Bachata Bachayim, yeah. How do you prove free? We don't know if we are free or not. I mean, there are, there are many philosophies that hold there is no free will. All kinds of people, you know. Uh, people, like I said, Calvin, he held there was no free will at all. What? There will be no reward and punishment. Of course not, exactly. Yeah. No reward, no punishment, no responsibility. You can know your guy can go out and murder somebody and say, well, I was compelled. There's no free will. So it was the, whatever forced me to do it and so on. Yeah. That's the end of, uh, it's really the end of society if that would ever happen, you know. Uh, this has been a debate for thousands of years among the philosophers and the psychologists. Is there free will? Is there not? Is everything behavioral reinforcement? This is like a, an ongoing debate, you know. But we know, because God said, <clears throat> and besides, we know also that the Bernstein says, you know, I mean, the whole, th <coughs> the fact that we have mitzvahs to do, clear, and that we're rewarded, clearly indicates we have free will, or why would God reward us? Then it's not, the whole thing is unjust, you know. Those people had to do evil, well, why are they being punished? And those people are doing good, why are they being rewarded? It has nothing to do with them. Uh, the whole concept of schavi oinish, uh, is, is predicated on the fact that it is your responsibility for you are held uh, uh, accountable for what you did 
you're the cause of what you did. Or else the whole thing doesn't make sense. You know, the whole concept of a task doesn't make sense at all. What was what was the bunch of want to accomplish with this? He's doing it anyway. Yeah. I read that uh, the incident where Yehuda's on the road and he sees Tamar. Yeah. That his free will was taken, taken away. Taken away. Medrash. So. He went. Who was taken away? Exactly. So he didn't have free will. No. Exactly. In fact, the Medrash says it's very interesting. Medrash, because the Mashiach wanted him to be with Tamar. That was it. Because the Mashiach has to come. Yeah. What looks like Tamar. Well, right. But it's just very, very interesting what the Medrash says. And with the, the Chazal da, uh, expounded from one word, because he said "sot many She's when she she's remember he he had her convicted, and she, they were going to take her out to kill her. And all of a sudden, so she was very smart. So she takes out his staff, his signet ring, he had a whole bunch of stuff, you know. And she says, "Okay, I'm guilty, fine. But whoever these are owned by, guess what? He's also, you know, and you took one look." The incredible thing about Yehud is he admitted in front of everybody. I mean, you can imagine a guy saying, well, you know, I was with this uh, Zoyna. I was with this, uh, you know, Harlot. You know, I mean, he's, he's the Tzaddik Yehuda openly admitting that he actually had relations with this woman on the way. I mean, it's like, you know, what? What courage it took for a guy like that? I mean, most guys would have said, me, I don't own them. You know, me, you know. <clears throat> but the Chazal learned from, because he said, Tzotko mimeni, she's more righteous than me. So Chazal said, Tzotko, he said, but mimeni was not Yehuda, it was God. Mimeni, for me, is all this. Uh, so the Medrash is very interesting, which talks about that. So the Medrash says that God turned to the Malach, right? The angel that is in charge of taiva, arousal, in a person. You know, that type of an arousal, you know? So God said to the Malach, come on. Turn on the oven, you know. Take away Yehuda's bechira, uh, because then the Bosham says, because if you don't do that, then you know how's the Mashiach going to come out of this? It's amazing, Medrash, when you think about that. But it wasn't, of course, and and that's it. A person can only stand. The Bosham took away, but in the end, no. See, that's different. Uh, you see that from the Medrash. <clears throat> there's there's different ways to increase to take away a person's bechira, right? The normal way, which we're talking about now, is what? Where God puts into your mind the decision. That's a complete removal of Bechira. Because he put in your mind, and, and therefore you think it's your own. And that, there's no Bechira at all. But with Yehud, he didn't do that. What he did is he turned up the drive. And when you turn up the drive, there's a point that you pass that there is no free will. You know, because a person can only tolerate a certain amount of what's called uh, uh, arousal. If it goes past a certain point, it's over with. So what he did is he just turned it up. The Malach, he said, okay, and therefore he had no Bechira. Uh, it's like the Gemara says in Brochus, you know. You take a guy and you, you take a person, give him a money, and you give him uh, fancy clothing, and you put him next to a Kupusha Zainus, you know, a place of uh, uh, betrothal, you know, uh, of harlots and so on, you know. He's finished, as they say in English. His goose is cooked. Because what can he do? It's impossible to withstand that Nisoyen. Because you've given him every wherewithal thought that he needs to go and engage in, the, in that place. Yosef well. was able to go against the... Yosef has Bechira. Because he still had Bechira. I'm saying, but all the intensity was there. She, she was his, 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 
she was his mistress and she and she, she <coughs> threatened him and he still went against all the saying against all the uh, forces that were pushing him to do it and he still was able to be discovered. So but that story of Yosef Atzadik, you know what the real story of that? When Yosef was approached by Fatifa's wife, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and he almost succumbed. I mean, the, in fact, uh, you know, if not for the fact that he's the, the only... What? The but even that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He took his fingers and he went straight into the ground and that was pretty painful. So pain could immediately stop arousal, you know? But that, that was he, but Yosef, first of all, Hatzadik, in that story, he had Bechira, that's number one. But you have to understand what the extent of the arousal was. You know what it was? <coughs> Without getting to the whole story, because um, uh, Ace of Sin, who's an Ov, and uh, Yaakov had doubled up his own job, and he doubled up, he took over Esau's job also. I'm skipping a lot of stuff, you know, because I want to get to Yosef, right? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and of course, the job of Yaakov was Emes and Shekhar. That was his Nisoyen. The job of Esau was Taiva and Gaiva, you know. So Yaakov took over the job of Esau. So therefore, he uh, therefore have to go into the world, whatever, you know. But he can't do two jobs. So Yosef was an Oshavit that was elevated to be an Ov. Chatsi Ov. Okay, anyway, so therefore, Yosef now had to complete the job of Esau, right? Uh, so the job of Esau, of Taiva, that was the job that Yosef had overcome. to overcome that which Esau, the, the Nisoyen of Esau, you see. <clears throat> and you know where you see that, which is interesting. You know, when Yaakov fought the Malach, what was the Malach? He was a Sutton. The Sutton was described as an Ish. As a man. Why? Because he really fought the Sutton. Yet when you, when you refer to the Sutton, you really call him an Ish. A man, because the Satan appears to you in your mind, right? not as a Malach, as a temptation in your mind, and that's called man, because that's how he appears to you, as a man inside your head and so on, you know? So what happened was, is that the whole Pasuk, the Pasuk is incredible, where it says, Vayovoy, uh, and Yosef, what it says, and Fatifa wasn't there, right? So you know already something about to happen, right? Wait, you have to see that. So it says, What malacha? So we normally the malacha of doing what? I, I said this in the shir. The normal malacha is uh, he was the manager of, uh, for, for, um, of uh, his, uh, his household. You know? But Alpi Kabola, Alpi Soid, and he went in to do his job, means he was now going to fulfill the job of Esau. Okay? Therefore, the taiva that Yosef had was the taiva of the full onslaught of the Sultan. It wasn't one of his appointees. It's a Sultan driving up the arousal and urge of Yosef to the full extent that he could do it, you know, which was beyond belief, uh, and so on, <clears throat> you know. But, but somehow Yosef had the koyach, because he was an Indian Sheikh when Yosef, he was able to stop even though it was very difficult. And the only way he saw the Yuknu Shalova of that, without that, he would have been finished. He saw his father's image and, uh, and so on, because he realized if he does that, he'll be taken off the Merkava 
and so on. But what the really, really where he stopped is he took his fingers and dug it into the earth and the pain deadened the drive. And even then, it, it, the, the measure says, he had 10 drops coming out of him. I don't want to get into the whole thing. But where do you see that in the Torah? The Torah is Muramah's that because it says, because it's not, this is not just a guy being, trying, being seduced by a woman. Don't think that, you know. This was a completely abnormal situation for Yosef. You know, a man is not subjected to this, you see, because the one who was giving him his arousal was the Sutton himself. Because that's who he had to vanquish. That was Esau's job. Says there wasn't a man in the house. Which I thought it was Asmat. But you think it's a mark like the Sitra? I will. Yes, I will give you the remez because it says And there was no man of the household there in the house. Should have just said, and there was no man in the house. What do you mean there was no man of the household <coughs> in the house? Because there was no man of the household, but there was another man. Who was that? The Sultan. In that one Pasuk, it reveals the whole story. See? The Torah should have just said, and there was no man in the house. But it says, and there was no man of the household in the house. What's this, what's this extra Russian language, right? It should have just said, and there was no man of the household. And there was no man in the house. It said the Torah says, and there was no man of the household in the house. Which means, the diok is, the, the, the inference is, but there was another man. Not of the household, but there was another man. What man? The, when Yaakov fought the Malach, ish imoy, and Yaakov fought the man, which was the Malach. So in that one statement, the Torah reveals what the whole Indian of Fatifa's wife was. But Yosef had Bechira. As hard as it was, he had free will, you know. But, like I said, you know. Um, so the was beslabished in the wife of Potiphar? Well, the, she was following out. No, his arousal state was satanic. I'm saying it came from the satin into her, into her <coughs> and then she was able to. Yeah, but uh, it's, almost like, it's almost like she's irrelevant, you know. Yeah, well, it's certainly a setup. That's why it says, and he came to the house to do his work. What work? The setup. He's got to complete the job of Esau, which means to conquer his taiva, you see. But anyway, but notwithstanding how powerful it was, Yosef, of course, had Bechira. And that's why he's, uh, see, you know, he's so great and so on. That's why the story of Fatifa's wife is mentioned. Not only because they threw him in jail after that, because that was critical to his accomplishing the taiva of Esau and, and, and vanquishing it and so on. Anyway, yeah, uh, so I just brought that up in terms, of, in terms of Yosef and so on. But anyway, so therefore, how do I get into this? The coffee cup. Huh. If you the went for the coffee cup. No, it was, I know it's something before that. Oh, oh Mimeni, yeah, I got it. Okay, Mimeni and so on, you know. But oh, yeah, but I got it. Wait, 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 yeah. But there are two ways. Either you can increase the drive. God can take away Bechira, right, in, in, in several ways. First of all, He can just take your Bechira away and He can insert your decision. And you would never know it's, that it's not your decision. To you, it's your decision. Or He can keep you with your decision and just turn up the heat. Then what are you going to do? Either way, you're finished. In the sense that, wait, in the sense that you can just go through with it. And Toma is the classic. 
where Yehuda had Bechira, theoretically, but the Bosham turned up his drive where it was, in, it, was, it, it was completely impossible for him to, uh, what he called, be goiva, to not, not commit the Avera. That, that's why I want to say. So if the Bosham uh, wants, it's like Paroi. The same thing with Paroi. The <coughs> well, what does that mean? You know, it means that there, God, either way, either he inserted the decision, I don't want to let him go, so Parah really had no Bechira, you know. Or, <clears throat> Parah had Bechira, you know, but somehow God threw him a thought. Nah, I can't let the Jews go. Who's going to build my pyramids? Or something like that, right? So, in that sense, he threw him a, let's put it this way, he threw him a, um, an argument that he, he just couldn't refuse. Even though theoretically he had Bechira. So, the Bashem can, uh, you know, play around with your Bechira in many different ways. Or he can put you in an opportunity you know that it's forget the uh, the odds are you're not going to make it because it, it's so uh, what do you call it um, the tendency is so great to once you have all the opportunities like like the Gemara says and and so on with that. I heard a shot that 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 Hashem was actually reinstating Paro's hero because the, the, each of the makos were so were so painful or so tra tragic that nobody with the right mind would have. Kept the situation going. Yeah, I know it's insane. So I mean, his country is being hated. His bechira by hardening his heart. So now he was back to having bechira. Uh, yeah, okay. Different ways of looking at it because it's very hard to believe Paray did this. I mean, his whole country is being destroyed, obviously miraculously, and this guy's saying no. I mean, you know. Anyway, but uh, so that's the concept that man does have free will. Now, why does why but why does a person have a yitzhara and a yitzhatov? Why does a person need that for? I mean, these are the situations that you need in order to do the job of doing the mitzvahs and so on. So free will, we know. First of all, like I said, you have to have a physical universe which obscures the spiritual, you know? And then within that, there's a way to get around it by making a spiritual potential in each physical object and so on, you know? And then a man has to have free will or else, uh, obviously, then what's the whole point? But a person also has to have two yitzvahs. Yitzhatoyv and Yitzhahara. Why? Good question. You know, why can't a just guy have, you know, he has an opportunity. He can do evil or he can sin. You know what I'm saying? And he makes a decision. What do you need Yitzhahara for? A Yitzhahara is a schlepper. What does that mean? You know, he schleps you. You know, what does a Yitzhahara do for you, really? What he does is he controls your drives. That's basically how the Yitzhahara manifests itself in this world that he's responsible for your drives. <clears throat> so the question is, what does, a, what does a person need that for? And the same thing with the Yetzirah And the idea to that is because a guy could say, okay, I'll make a decision, but what do I, if I'm not driven to make a decision, why make any decision? I'll just relax. Why? So what forces you, what's called into the arena, I mean, why would a guy want to enter an arena like that? A guy can say, hey, you know, there's an arena that I've got to make a decision. Do I fight or not fight? No, no, I'll just stay out of the arena. So, therefore, think about that. What? Yeah. What? I'll stay in bed all day. What, what I need this for, right? Why do people go to work? Why? Because they have to eat, right? So they have to go to work to make money. Let's face it. If nobody had a... If, if we could sustain ourselves, right? Right, you know, right? Without having to um, uh, have food and drink and all that stuff, who would go to work? 
Nobody. Think about that, you know. But the reason why is God says, listen, you know, you're not here to lazy off and do nothing. I'm going to compel you to enter the arena and fight. We have no choice. So the Yetzirah, or the Yetzirah, especially the Yetzirah, compels us to enter situations where we have to fight. You see, we must, we, we, we must enter the arena and take up the challenge. There's no way because of the drives that we have, and that's why we have what's called Yetzirah. A Yetzirah is an inclination. We have to be given an inclination to enter the, the battle to enter the challenge and therefore we have Yetzirah who forces us into all kinds of situations because of what? because of our drives right? and we have a Yetzirah that tries to reason with us hey you know you really want to be doing this kind of stuff you know it's not good it's, and so on you know so the Yetzirah compel us to engage in fighting do we do good or bad? Do we follow what the Yetzirah wants or do we follow what the Yetzirah wants, you see? And that's why we have two Yetzirahs. Because we're forced to enter the arena and do battle. Yeah, well, other than that, why would anybody do anything, you know? So that's the concept of the, the, the Yetzirah, the concept of the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah and so on, you know? Um, so that, that answers that. Anybody know what the age of Toiv is? I think I once spoke about this. Am I right? Mishama. What? Mishama. What about the age of Malach? What? Why would you say that? Why well, say it's what Mishama? Yeah. Why would you say that? Mishama is a pure entity that drives you to go ahead and do good. So that would be your Yitzhahara would be a body that likes to eat, to drink. Born with other Yitzhahara. You're born without the eight. What? Yeah. You you're born without the eight toiv, because the eight toiv enters at thirteen, right. and the eight sahara is there when you're born. When you're born, because when you're born, you're just physical and you have no. You don't have the shama. You have the neshama, but you don't have the seichel. That really, the shama is in the seichel, so you don't have anything to combat your drives of a, of a baby. <coughs> baby just wants to go ahead and, and just enjoy what. I would agree with you, but you have, but I would agree with you, but you have to ask. But it's based on a question, you know. <clears throat> if a person has an neshama, where the neshama is what, automatically it's inclined to holiness and to the right way. Why would an yitzitayv? That's the question you have to ask. It's redundant. I already have. Plus, that's what you were saying. I already have an inclination because that's what the neshama is. Why would I need a yetzatoyv? That's why the yetzatoyv, there is no yetzatoyv. It's the neshama itself. The problem is, okay, whereas the yetzahara, right, has to combat the inclinations of the neshama, you see. But the problem is this. So the yetzahara begins immediately, you see, because there has to always be, and you know, the yetzahara is an abnormal adjunct to an individual because the real individual is the neshama the problem is that the neshama itself has to go through growth stages you know it has to go through growth stages <coughs> you see the neshama itself becomes manifest really at a certain age because then the neshama goes through a growth process Yetzirah there's no growth 
You see, whereas the Yetzir Toiv there is, which leads us to this question. What is the physical manifestation of the Yetzir Toiv? Where do you see this? And we say that the Yetzir Toiv comes at 13, whatever, a bar mitzvah. Yeah, where? Where do you see this? What in the human corresponds to the inclinations of the Yetzir Toiv? What is it? Who? Maturity of the, of the person. What maturity. does maturity mean? Maturity, that, that's. Is it? I want to tell you something. There's a lot of kids who are 10 years old that are much smarter than their parents. And they do not have the age of Oh yeah, come on. You know no kids 11, 12 years old? That's smarter than their parents? And believe me, there are a lot of parents that don't have that much das. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've met them, right? Okay, so the question then is, who is the Yetzir Or more important, how does he manifest itself? What happens to a kid, boy or girl, at either 12 or 13, whatever? That represents the Yetzir And it's not Das. It's living in reality. What? Accepting the reality. Accepting the reality. Not living in fantasy. Okay, that's close. You heard my previous year? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, these answers are too close to what I said once. Oh, come on. You guys are taking me for a ride. <clears throat> no, you know what it is? Which is interesting. One of the difficulties of a teenager, it's called adolescence, right? A teenager has certain uh, developmental um, uh, requirements. One of them is, who am I? Teenagers are trying to find themselves. That's one of their, their developmental tasks. Who am I, really, you see? And, who, uh, you know, and this, a second task is, I want to become independent. But there's something that precedes that. Okay, what is that? What precedes that is that they want to know reality and to conform to that reality. That's the Yetzir See, what the Yetzir is, it's really a development, it's really a psychological force. All of a sudden, a guy becomes a teenager, let's say 12, 13, whatever it is, right? And all of a sudden, he's interested in the real world. He doesn't play anymore. You know, he's not like a, a second, seven-year-old kid can suspend reality and just play. A teenager doesn't play like a kid. <coughs> That's the concept of you, the word you use, which is maturity. To be mature means what? To want to know reality and to accept, to conform to what reality is. You see? And that's the, the drive of the Yetzir You see? So the Yetzir what happens is the Neshama all of a sudden, in a certain sense, wakes up. Okay? And what it does, the awakening of the Neshama in a person is a specific developmental time where the person now is interested in the real world. It's part of the, 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 the journey called, who am I? Well, the only way to know who am I really, right? And what's out there is if what? If I know what reality is. So that's why you find all of a sudden there's an interest in the real world, the real world, not a fake world, you see. Because what they want to do is conform to that real world you see? And that's part of the discovery of who I am and how to get along in life, how to be successful. That's really the age of Toiv. 
It's nothing more than psychological development that a person has at that point in time, you see. What is maturity? Maturity is the desire and the willingness to accept whatever reality is, to accept responsibility, because that's what reality says, is that you have certain responsibilities, you see. So therefore, you have two drives. One is the drive, right? The bodily drives, right? That's what a person has. That's the eight, that's the eight Sahara. Uh, but the drive to want to know reality, to search for meaning, identity, you see, and to accommodate yourself to that reality, that is the Yetzirah <clears throat> That's how it manifests. The, that's how the Neshama manifests itself. But the interesting thing about that is the drive, that really drive is much, is very powerful. The drive for identity, you see, the drive to want to, who, uh, identity, who am I? The drive to want to understand reality. The drive to want to accept responsibility as a drive. Doesn't mean the kid won't have hangups, you know, whatever. Uh, that is the manifestation of the Eight Satoiv. Whereas the Eight Sahara is just the drives of the physical urges and the physical drives. That's what the Eight Sahara is. So how do we see. have so many adults living in illusion with that wanting to? Because they're bribed. They're bribed by the Yetzirah. They're completely enveloped by the Yetzirah. So even though they have the Yetzirah, which means that they have the, the awareness, they're not interested in That's the conflict. That's, that is the conflict. Do you want to really understand reality? Do you want to understand the meaning of reality, of who you are? You see? That's a drive. It's not a thought. It's a drive. A teenager has that drive. And there's a whole search going on, you see? Uh, so hopefully when a person is driven, he will find out and he will accommodate to the reality, you see? But the eight Sahara is the opposite, where it tries to increase the physical urges, right? And all of a sudden, you have a machama. you know? Do you, do you go in the direction of truth and meaning? Right? Or do you go in the direction of pleasure and so on? That's the, that, uh, comfort and so on. Uh, pleasure, comfort, ego, whatever, whatever is really, and that is the drive. That is the tremendous uh, drive. That's why you'll notice the Ramchal, especially in the first Chalik, never talks about the Yetzirah He never identifies him as a Yetzirah as a Malach. Uh, there is no Malach, really. It's you. Your Nisham is the Yetzirah It doesn't need anything else. You know, you don't need somebody telling you, uh, like I'm saying, a, dr a drive to be successful, a drive to know reality, find meaning. You already have that. What you do need is something which is completely contrary to the Yetzirah which is the physical urges, you see. Uh, and that's really the Mechoma. Will you be bribed, Shaykhad, by your Yetzirah? Oh, come on, you know, look what you can do, look what you can enjoy. Come on, get out there and do every, what everybody's out there. You know, the beautiful, everything, the gorgeous, the, the, the houses and the cars and all the, you know, whatever, the, the women, whatever, whatever's going on, you know, Hollywood and, and the success and power and all this kind of stuff. It's like, wow, right? That's a tremendous Yetzirah. Uh, because we all have a drive in one sense to enjoy life, you know, to be secure. Forget about Ruchnius, you see? Yet at the same time, man is driven. You know, man is the only one that is driven to have meaning, if you think about that. You've never seen a, a, a dog, 
You ever see dogs want to have meaning? You ain't counting a, a, a cat. I'm sure the cat lovers and the dog lovers will say, yeah, well, my pet, you know, and so on. But animals have no desire or drive for meaning. The only thing an animal has is a drive to survive. And therefore, it's territorial. Just, hey, get out of my way. I got to survive, right? Uh, that's the only thing that occupies the mind of an animal, whatever that, whatever that means. I, I need to survive. That's what drives the animal. Uh, but there's nothing higher than that. A man is the only creature, so to speak, that is driven for meaning, for purpose, you know, for achievement, you know, to achieve. A man, the thing of course is through the achievement, they will feel that they have meaning and purpose. Everything can boil down to that, uh, you know, and, and so on. Uh, and and that, that's the Yetzirah. Hopefully a person will use that ultimately to find out the truth, what it is, and not be bribed by the Yetzirah. But anyway, the main idea which I want to say is that a person is driven or else he would never enter the arena. And therefore, therefore he has two things. He has his neshama, uh, which is his innate nature. That's who he is, you see. Or he will be bribed by the physical urges of the body, and so on, and all the other trappings of what this world is about, and so on. And that is a tremendous uh, mechama, uh to do. And that's why, without the Torah, in many ways, how are you going to make it? Because a person is so driven by his, he's so uh, cajoled by his uh, his Yetzirah, you know, you know, why is the Torah tavlin, so to speak? Why is the Torah an antidote, the Gemara says, right, to the Yetzirah, you know? And the answer is because the Torah is the truth. It gives you the meaning, light. you see? The light, the awe, the meaning, the truth. That's what the Torah really offers. And if you take the Yetzirah, which is a drive to know truth and meaning and responsibility and all that and purpose and so on, right? You want that, you're driven to know that, you see? And then all of a sudden, you have the Torah, then they will fuse into one. Ah, you see? That's why many times you find a guy's, guy's worth a fortune of money and he's 80 years old and he looks and says, what do I, what is this? What do I need it for? Is this? And he realizes that it was a, you know, it was a wild goose chase, so to speak. You know, did I really need that? You know, I mean, wealthy people, you know, unless they're so into the taiva, whatever. But mo many wealthy people, they look at this. What do I need all this? Yeah, I have one car. What do I need five cars in my garage? You know, say what? The, and they realize it's empty. There are so many people. You know that are, have their life has been a, a tremendous uh, a, a drive to excel in materialism, and pleasure, and power, right, and and honor, and all that kind of stuff. And in the end, they say, "Who cares, really?" In the end, the problem is they can say that when they're seventy or eighty, because by then the H's horror is is dried up. It's basically, you know, what's a guy feel? He's 75, 80 years old. You know, most of the tithers are gone. You know what I'm saying? That's why all of a sudden the one trying to bribe you is gone. So all of a sudden you open up your eyes. That's why older people are able to open up their eyes much better than young guys. Young guys, they have raging hormones. It's over with, you know, very difficult. But an older guy, when that stops, he can examine life, what it really is, and say, what does all this mean? What do I need it for? You know? And all of a sudden they wake up. But the problem is they wake up. They're 75, 80 years old. What are they going to have at 80 years old? I mean, they can still do tshuva. But this is what it's all about. 
you know, the youth is 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 tremendously tempted by the by the by the uh, enticements of the world. You know, the there's so many. Hope it doesn't diminish with age. Presumably, eighty, he'll still desire COVID even more than a younger person because it's it's a rookieistic type. Yeah. He wants the legacy. I mean, that's why Donald Trump went wanted to become president because he had everything. Why would he want? The COVID is tremendous now. No, he's not into the COVID. Cause no. You're, no, he has that anyway. He's a celebrity. He's a world-famous celebrity. I know, he doesn't need the presidency, no. Trump wants the presidency. It's not power. Because he also felt no meaning. He wants the meaning of making America great. That's why. It hit him. I mean, he's got everything. Think about it. This man's got everything any guy would ever want. You know? So, what, you know? so what's missing in his life it's not billions of dollars. Uh, what's the name? Mar-a-Lago? What is that place in Florida? Oh, Marco Polo. No, no, no. Mar Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Mar 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 whatever. Right? What's in all this? What, he, what he's desperate for is meaning. Something he can leave behind and say, the fact that I lived was worthwhile to the world. Not worthwhile to me. You see? And the presidency is the vehicle that he can make America great so he will have done tremendous things for mankind. That's all, it, that's what it is with Trump. I'm telling you, you could see that. Yeah, yeah. no question about that. No. Gates that has been, uh, you've been cultivating it for 13 years, you bar mitzvah. Yeah. Are you getting a Gates that that's equal to it? <coughs> or is it a fair fight? That's what I'm asking. Is your Yates a hurry here and you got a Yates a tove down there? Or you know, uh, it should be. It seems be. like it's not. Uh, it's, fight, yeah. You know? It seems like it. But, <laughs> but theoretically, it should be a fair fight. Because the drive for meaning and truth in a man <coughs> is an incredibly strong drive. It really is. You know? I, uh, like I say, but of course, it's the, it's, you, we are enormously distracted because of the Eight Sahara, because all the, the, uh, the, the materialistic pleasures and, the, and the, uh, just all the, all the uh, uh, attractions of this world and so on, you know? But it is a very strong fight. Deep down, everybody wants to have meaning. I want to have a life that's purposeful, meaningful. And it's true that a guy can be distracted for years, but deep down, there's always something bothering him. What am I doing? What, what, why am I here? You know, is it just to make another dollar, to be able to save up, to be able to take a vacation, you know, to have more pleasures? What, what in the end is it really about? I, I think existentially, everybody's bothered by that, ultimately. The problem is that until they wake up and look at it straight in the face, they're 70 years old. That's the problem. But really deep down, the human nature is driven toward meaning and, and achievement and purpose, always. And that begins, that concept begins when you're a teenager. That's when it starts. I, one other anyway. Thing. You said when uh, the apes are told uh, um, an adolescent wants to conform to reality. There are a lot of kids that are born into horrendous situations yes. in that house. Oh, Beatings yeah. and you could got worse things. And they, yeah, and they conform to reality, like becoming really violent. Yeah, yeah, okay, of course. 
So where's the Yitz Tov helping them? Because still deep down. Look at the you know, Wait, 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 wait. They're, 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 when you look at a person, there are two things going on. There are two fundamental drives in a human. One is survival. That always takes first because he's got to survive. A person is always concerned about survival. And that is why the unconscious mind, um, which dominates so much of a person's life, when you meet everybody, you have what's called, you're in red alert, to use the military term, 24-7. What does that mean? That means everything that you do from moment to moment, you're always evaluating threat to your survival. It's unconscious. That's why when you meet people immediately, your unconscious is looking at that guy and said, hmm, is he threatening to me? Is he gonna wash the floor with me ego-wise? You know, and so on, you know? That never stops. That's called, the, that, that, that arises from the fear of self-preservation of death. The greatest fear of a, a person is death. And therefore, the greatest drive of a person is self-preservation. And that means survival. That's always automatic. It never turns off, never. Uh, now, right underneath that, you know, underneath of survival is what? Right underneath that, and survival means many things, by the way. It means ego survival, you know, food, drink, everything we need to make it physically, but also psychological survival. We need friends, we need social interactions. There are many things we need psychologically. That's always on a person's mind. When that is removed, or if you're not as preoccupied with that, you're gonna always ask yourself, okay, where am I? What am I doing? What's the meaning in life? The problem is that survival always takes first place, and this takes second place, obviously, for, because it has to in that sense, you know? But when this, the, the need for survival, which includes biological, psychological, all kinds of uh, you know, survival necessities and so on, when that is moved to the side, then what emerges is the concept of meaning, the drive to, for meaning, for purpose, for some, some type of a feeling of, of that my life is worthwhile. It has something meaning that it, that it, that it has. That immediately appears. And what's interesting is most people do survive, obviously, you know. But so therefore, simultaneous to everything is always survival, right? Meaning. Survival, meaning. The problem is that the HR says, you know, I mean, a guy's worth $100 million. What does he have to go to work for? Why does he need another $100 million? You know, so the problem is that people don't want to let go of the survival instinct no matter what he has. And therefore, the meaning instinct, if you want to use that word, the drive, you know, it cannot, re cannot surface, you see. But when a person does have that, so that can't surface. One of the greatest damages to society to today, you know what that is? Cell phone. The problem with cell phone is, you're always on the phone. So, you know, it used to be a time when you'd be in a car, you know, and you had no phones. The guy could think about himself. You know, he could think, okay, who am I, what am I, how things doing, how are my relationships, you know? So along came the cell phone and robbed you even of the spare time that you have. The problem with the cell phone, it robs you of any other type of thinking which is critical to you. Like I say, you know, where am I, what am I really doing with my life, and so on. You no longer think about that because you're always on your cell phone. 
that's that's the greatest danger of all. You know, forget about it, not only all uh, all the other dangers of the of the smartphones and all that, uh, but probably one of the greatest destructive forces ever known is a smartphone, or a, 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 actually, it's a smartphone, not a cell phone. You know, kosher phones don't have much. You know, but the smartphones, you know. <clears throat> You're never, th you're never thinking about yourself anymore. It's always about, you know, everybody else. Facebook, uh, you know, all the other social things. They, they, it's killing everybody. It was, what it has, it has done is it has robbed a person of some type of space to think about himself. You see? And what am I doing with my life? So therefore, a smartphone is one of the greatest destructive devices ever made by man. Oh, it sounds very funny. A smartphone? Yeah. <clears throat> because it has robbed a man of time off, as you would say, you know. And therefore, he can evaluate his life. He can't do it anymore, you see. It's an interesting concept. But to the smartphone, like I said, is one of the greatest victories of the Eighth Sahara has ever seen. It's incredible what he's done because he's now robbed you of any uh, exposure to thinking about you and your life. Terrible. Uh, that's why people really, if they were smart, <laughs> they would get rid of their smartphones. I mean, because it's killing you. They, it's incredible. People do not understand. A smartphone will destroy you. I'm not even looking at the stuff you can see on the smartphone. I'm not even going into that. You know, what you could see on the smartphone in terms of the internet and all the other stuff that's just beyond belief, what you have access to, you know? <clears throat> but the greatest danger of the smartphone, it has robbed you of the most important aspect of your life. Meaning, who are you? What are you doing? It's addictive. Of course it's addictive. And you walk into a room these days, you never notice? Everybody, everybody's on their smartphone. It's like, whatever happened to human interaction, it's gone. Nobody talks to anybody anymore. I mean, this is your do it, you know? But I'm not even saying that they're not talking to anybody, social needs and all that. I'm saying something much more important. It has robbed you of your ability to think about your humanity and about spirituality in terms of humanity. Nobody thinks about that anymore. That's why this world is finished. It really is. The smartphone will destroy mankind. It will destroy the greatness, the nobility of man. And really what he is and what he can do. You don't realize that, but that's what it is. So till age 13, a child is only thinking about survival. He's yeah. not thinking about meaning. No. So that's why he has no answer to the Correct. That's right. So his ability to go ahead, his mind can only process yeah. that at age 13. Is about yeah, because... Well, that... Uh, when he gets what? When he gets the smartphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and funny. All of a sudden, when he's driven to meaning, right. that's when he gets a smartphone, right? I'm telling you, you don't realize that the greatest victory of the Eight Sahara, right, is the smartphone. It is. He won. It's not even the internet. It's a smartphone, and with the smartphone, together with the internet, is a korban. It's a korban. It destroyed man's nobility, his humanity, yeah, and his greatness. I heard from an Adam Chashem that the yeah. internet was introduced by the Abishta in order to allow that when Mashiach finally comes, yes. to be able to relate to the whole. Correct, whole yeah, I, I said that. You said that? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I heard it from somebody else. But okay. it's, it's, that's an episode. Yeah, here's what happened. I got to end with this. Here's what happened. The Bonsham said, okay. I now have to introduce a concept that the Mashiach needs. 
What is that? Global connectivity. What is global connectivity? Internet. You know? So the why? Because then the Mashiach can get on the computer one in one second and reach everybody. Everybody, right? With the billions of people on the internet, right? And not only that, and he, at the same time, he also introduced wireless. Because now it doesn't make, you don't even have to be plugged in. You can see the, the Mojave Desert. You know what I'm saying? You're in the desert and you're still watching the smartphone. Because it's all satellites. It's all wireless, right? Okay. So that's what the Baruch said. Why? For the purpose of Mashiach. So the Sutton comes in and says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean the Mashiach can't do this? Come on, they're not ready for the Mashiach. They don't deserve the Mashiach. Come on. So Bonsham says, okay, you have a point. Justice demands that I should not introduce the internet for global connectivity so the Mashiach can talk to everybody, right? So, but I'll make a deal with you. This is the Shaykh of the Sultan, okay? You get it first. What? I get it first? You're on. I got the deal, right? And of course, the Sultan gets it first and now every schmutz everything that, that's a certain but in the end it will be used for the global connectivity of the Mashiach but the deal is because the Sultan had a point because he represents justice that's because he's a Sultan right he's the, he's the heavenly D is the heavenly DA right so that's the Bansham does that many times with the Sultan okay I need to introduce it because the internet is really for the purpose of Mashiach because that's how he will talk to the entire world. Apiteva. We're not talking about Ben David. We're talking about Ben Yosef. Okay? So that's what the Sutton says. Wait a minute. They don't deserve this. So Ben says, okay. You get it first. Okay. Oh, wow. So here comes the internet. In comes the smartphones. I mean, it's just beyond belief what comes in. Because that's what he does. Same thing like Eretz Israel. The Ben said the same thing. Okay. It's now time that the Jews have to come back to Eretz Israel. Right? So said Eretz Israel, come on. You can't do that. Okay, your guys will get it first. Erev the Mapai, Erev Rav. The Erev Rav, the Mapai, the Zionist, you get it. So the son says, okay, okay, by the time I get finished with the Jews, I'm going to shemar them all up. I'm going to get them all to be right. So th that, that's called Shulich the Sultan. Now you understand. So what the Bansham does is he has a timetable. You've got to come down, but the Sultan get it first, and therefore the Sultan will stop his accusations. It's okay. It's a good deal. Because I have the power now to destroy the Jews. Same thing happened with Kabbalah. The Bansham says, okay, the concept of Kabbalah has to now come down because it's the introduction to the Orishan and all that. So the Sultan says, Kabbalah? Are you got to be kidding. Kabbalah? You want to give them that awe of Kabbalah? That incredible enlightenment of the spirituality and all that? So the Bansham says, okay, your guys get it first. So in comes Madonna, right? <laughs> all the Hollywood actors that are now studying Kabbalah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you have the other guys who are trying to introduce Kabbalah and all that kind of stuff you know yeah you know so why so the Sultan make sure that the Kabbalah will be so far schmutzed so far schmutzed so such tumor that nobody's going to want to read the Kabbalah learn the Kabbalah you see this is called Shaykh the Sultan where the, the Bansham says my timetable says this has to happen and the Sultan introduces judgment because that's what he does right he says they can't Jews don't deserve it, and so on. The Bansham is okay. I got to do it, but I hear your point. You get it first. So then the Sutton says, okay, it's a deal. And then we see what happened to Eretzville. We see what happens to Kabbalah. You know what I'm saying? And we see what happened to the internet. There are three instances of the deal of the Shaykh al Sutton. But in the end, which is the worst? When you think about that, which is the worst? Smartphone. Because what the smartphone has done, it has, like I said, 
It's not just what you can see on a smartphone and the internet and the fact that you kill time all the time. Guys are all, they, they, they don't do anything. They can't go to sleep with their smartphones. They can't, it's, it's, it's a recognized psychological addiction. They can't get off their smartphones, you know? They gotta wait when my friend is gonna call me at 2 a.m., you know, with Facebook and all that, you know, Twitter, you know? I gotta follow the guy, Twitter, 24-7. It, they're finished, you know? But the reason why the smartphone, like I said, it's not just because of what you could see. It's the fact that what you're not doing, you're not in any way examining the whole purpose of life, the meaning, the achievement, what it's all about, spirituality, and so on. That's what it does. That's the greatest destruction that Sutton can ever do. And he won. He won. Because most of the world is completely in their smartphones. And it gets much worse. Because you have more access to everything else, you know? Like the social sites, the information, as Wikipedia, it's, it's unbelievable what's in the smartphones, you know, and so on, you know? But the, in, in effect, the Sutton, that was the greatest deal he ever did, you know? <coughs> are, are the Arab considered real Jews? <coughs> yeah, of course. Are they really considered, do they have the shams like a Jew, or are they considered like Arab, like they're... Still no, the, the, the Arab Rav Jew, except, like I, I spoke about, the Arab Rav are Jews that want to lead astray the Jewish people. But the Jew, they consider Jew, they have in the Arab The Rav is not against Jews, they're against God. Right. They don't say that, but, but they, they want to destroy God as the major force. People, yeah, of course they are. Look, Yisrael, Afapi, Shechotu, Yisrael, Nenu, you know, Jews and so on. Anyway, it's something to think about, you know, and if people hear this year, and they hear what I say about the smartphones, right? Then it was worth just giving this year. <laughs> They're gonna hear this on their smartphone. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's right, it's true. It's the rabbi, I hear it on my so smartphone. Rabbi, you, I if I didn't hear, so it's a contradiction. If I didn't have my smartphone, I wouldn't know this year in order not to have a smartphone. So which comes first? <laughs> what? Oh, in a Wikipedia is like uh, there used to be an encyclopedia called Encyclopedia Britannica. That was the big, you know. Today, I don't know if anybody buys Britannica. It's all free. I think they're gone. They stopped printing it. They stopped printing it. Oh, but do they have an? They have an online Britannica, or they don't even buy? It's not successful. Yeah. And then there's Wikipedia for, for more in-depth. Uh, uh, I don't know if Britannica is verified, but... Yeah, they have people, anybody can put, put information in, but you automatically get a thing that says citation needed, meaning bring us proof that this is actually... Oh, they do monitor it. Or was anybody? Yeah. How vast is Wikipedia? Very. It's like anything you ever want to know, one of those... It's like the Ulm Vitumim, I hate to say that, right? And the breastplate, right? Wikipedia, or the going goggle. It's not on Wikipedia, you just Google. It's what? Anything is not on Wikipedia, you just Google. You Google it. It's it astounding. It could take you to the British Museum. I, yeah. And it's much more powerful because it's all video. It's, it's video. video. It's video, but it's not video. video. But even if it's video. not video, you just read up. And Google's, right. getting oh, very, yeah. and Google's getting very, very scarily good at finding you what you need to know. You could have really? shots when you and very and good enter all the any words in the Hebrew, it brings you straight to the end of the Because they're very intuitive. It is extremely intuitive. It's unbelievable. Any shayla you have is that's usually it's protected for it's, it's, it's good, but it's scary. You don't need a memory. Programs you just are understanding. Mr. Google. It's incredible. Uh, you know. code is understanding. 
what right. the, I mean, the internet is, it it's, the, it's one of the greatest uh, impacts on civilization ever known. The internet, you know. But the internet is one thing, it's a smartphone that you take with you. You know, I'll, I'll end with this. I once went to, a, I was, <clears throat> I went into a restaurant, right? And I went to the, what's called the uh, restroom, you know? Okay. So um, I, I entered the restroom and I hear somebody's talking. <laughs> so I like, I wonder, I don't see anybody. <laughs> it's funny, but I'm just telling you, this is, uh, this is how far it goes, right? There's a guy in the stall doing, doing what he has to do, right? And, he, and he's talking on the phone. I mean, I don't know. I, you know it's a, I said, this is absolutely incredible. A guy can't even go to the bathroom in peace. He's got to be on the smartphone. Come on, you know. It's just unbelievable. Such a force to dominate a person's entire life. It's sick. And it's destructive. Need I say more? You know, it's the greatest I hold. Uh, the smartphone, bar none, is the greatest Yetzirah ever known to man. Because it is the greatest damage, damage doer of all. Like I say, not because of what's on it, but just in terms of the fact that it takes you away from your humanity to think about who you are. Growth. Human growth, spiritual growth, mm -hmm. the killer.